In the words of Public Enemy's Chuck D, bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome, one and all. Hope everybody's had a good week. Oh, it's been going alright so far. Honestly, to be real with you, I need January to just leave right now. It's, it's, I'm recording this currently on the 31st. I'll be February tomorrow, and I need February to come right now. Right now. Not not in not in how many hours it takes uh, for the end of the day. Right now. <laughs> I needed to go. But anyway, uh, continuing on. So, formalities, email, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all there in the description box below, uh, no matter where you're listening. And I also appreciate you for listening. Thank you very much. Um, we're in double digits now, and double digits for the show. So, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. So... Uh, we have kind of a we have, we have a good we have a good show for you. Uh, we have a, we same we like I'm like I'm have a score to sign. I I have a good show for you. <laughs> I have a good show for today. Uh, I there's there's been a lot going on in the past uh, week, and you know there's a lot of um, stuff that I could have talked about, but I've kind of um, I'm kind of um, strategizing at this point. So I've 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 already actually started already planning on the next episode, even as I record this episode. Um, and there are some stuff that has happened in the past week where, you know, I could talk about it now, but I feel like I should give it some time just to see if, um, just to, just to have it marinate because, you know, some of the stories that I was going to talk about were, you know, very fresh and I, and I, I thought it'd take, um, give it, give it another week and maybe some more, you know, light will come to it and, uh, maybe I'll get some more talking points to it. So anyway. Let's begin with um let's begin let's begin with sports actually. Let's begin with sports. I'm feeling sporty today. So um Anthony Davis, New Orleans Pelicans, basketball, we're talking about basketball here, has requested a trade. Okay. So his his new agent, Rich Paul, if you don't know basketball, he's um uh, also LeBron James's agent and agent to a lot of NBA players. So yeah, he has a good uh, he has a good portfolio of um, of uh, players he's representing. So, Anthony Davis, one of the top five, in my opinion, best players in the league, requesting a trade. He's been in New Orleans for six years, and it's just been, it's just been, it's not gone anywhere. It's not gone anywhere. You know, there's a couple of players below him that are quite decent. You know, Drew Holiday is finally uh, finding his um, true... Uh, his talent is finally coming through, and like you know, he's had a good stretch of not being injured for once, which is good. And uh, finally, he's uh, being a good uh, point guard that he that he uh, that his talent actually gives him. So, you know, in as terms in in terms of the team in uh, uh, the Pelicans, uh, uh, it's, the team is actually okay. But you know, in the stacked West, you're going to uh, you know you can't be good. You have to be great. You know what I mean? So. Uh, they're currently way out of the playoff position, uh, playoff uh, bracket. So you know this season's kind of dead already, and it's not even the all-star break yet. But already halfway into the season, and he has requested a trade. So people have been, you know, talking for the past few days, going, "Oh my god, oh my god, he's going to Lakers, he's going to Lakers." Stop right there. 
let's be let's let's uh, let's think about this logically, okay? So if we look at the Lakers, okay, their team is full of you know they got a good young core, you know they have got Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, um, who's the others, <laughs> Kyle Kuzma, uh, Zubac if you want to throw him in there, and uh, the, uh, there's someone else. Something am I thinking of anybody else? There's someone else there. No, I don't think there's anybody else. Pretty much those four, like the young core, basically, and they have a few veterans: Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo, and obviously LeBron James. So you know, people are have been people know that Andy Davis wants to go to LA. Okay, that's a fact. But New Orleans, why would they want him to go to LA? Why would they want to give him away to a, a, a basically a conference rival? In some form of fashion, not a rival, you know, but a a conference, another conference team in the same conference. Why would you want to do that? Why would you logically do that? Why would you take a, the the Lakers, uh, you know, sp- let's be real, spotty young core. Um, Carl Kuzma is the only one who's actually had a good season uh, in his sophomore season. Uh, Lonzo's been injured here and there. Brandon Ingram's been petering. You know, he's averaging like seven, seven, seventeen points and. Uh, uh, a good amount of rebounds, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon's not KD. You know, people were like when he got drafted. Oh, next KD, next KD. You know, he's he's gonna dominate. Like, no, 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 no. Just because he's skinny and has a jump shot does not mean he's K- the next KD. Okay, let's let's stop that right there already. So the logical the logical thing is that Anthony Davis is going to get traded to the Lakers but he's not going to get traded to Lakers again because New Orleans wouldn't do that so let's just cut that right off okay Magic Johnson who who um, is the head of basketball operations at the Lakers you know he, he can he can offer all he wants but he's not going to give New Orleans something that that can actually you know fill them up in terms of you know um uh you know, give him a good trade, you know, it's it's not going to be quality, it's not going to be a quality trade, Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Carl Kuzma, in my opinion, and if you want to add a couple more, uh, if you want to add picks and whatever, I don't think that is a worthy package for Andy Davis, this guy is 20, in his mid-20s, he is well into his prime, and he is so many prime years ahead of him, he has at least five years of prime ahead of him, and you and you want to give me Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Carl Kuzma, and some picks, Nah, that's no bueno. That's no bueno. So let's look at some other teams, okay? So we have uh, Boston Celtics. Now the only problem with the Boston Celtics is that they currently have Kyrie Irving, and the reason why that's a problem is because they, uh, him, Kyrie, and Andy Davis have this uh, thing in their contract where uh, they can't ha- they can't be on the same team. Basically, you know, that's kind of that's very basic layman terms of uh, of what it is, but. Basically, they can't be on the same team together. That's basically why. That's the that's the basic reason. So, with that said, if they if the if the Celtics want to have Anthony Davis and also Kyrie Irving, they will need to wait July first, where, where the free agency period uh, begins. That might not. That might Anthony Davis might not be there at that time. He might be traded. So, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a. The Celtics have a decision to make. Do they try to trade Kyrie Irving? And in my opinion, they should. I think they should jump at the chance. If they, if remember, Celtics are ruthless. Okay, they traded away Isaiah Thomas, right? When he wanted that Brinks truck, he wanted that money, but he got injured. 
and they traded him, okay? Ruthless, ruthless. And this dude was their playoff hero a couple of years ago. You know, he he was absolute a leader, right? And they just traded him like it was nothing, like it was nothing, okay? Kyrie has been bitching all these past couple, all season, all season he's been bitching about being a leader, you know, and trying to coach and trying to be leads these young kids and all this and all this rubbish. And I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be real with you. I don't think Kyrie is a leader. I don't think Kyrie's a leader. And the fact that rumors are now swirling around that Kyrie might leave leave Boston in free agency in July and maybe go back to LeBron in the Lakers, boy. That is weak. That is the, hey, K- KD right. KD is another that 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 would, him going to the Golden State was a was an unprecedented level of just whatever you want to call it, snakery, whatever you want to call it. Okay, Kyrie, Kyrie wanting to leave, wanting to be the leader at Cleveland, resign resign at Cleveland, and then LeBron James comes back and be and becomes the leader. That was a few. That was you know way back when. Okay, and I get it. Kyrie at that point was uh, entering his prime. He was the only decent player there. He had a good he had a, he had a good few games you know I think he had like a fifty point game one time you know he was alright he was cool you know he had the highlight reel of the handles and all this and all this stuff that Kyrie's known for now but then LeBron James came and obviously became the leader of the squad and obviously Kyrie felt a bit slighted the fact that he was basically bumped down to number two when he felt himself he was number one then when LeBron went to L A Kyrie went to Boston and. With the with the express thought that he wanted to be a leader, okay, this is the only reason why Kyrie wanted to go to Boston because it was a young team. He wanted to be the leader. He wanted to be the per- the number one person on a team that was uh, fighting for at least a conference championship and also a finals appearance. Okay, that is what Kyrie wanted to do. If this guy wants to go to, you know, rumoured, if this guy is rumoured to leave Boston, head to LA, and become not just LeBron's number two, but also get bumped down to number three, because Anthony Davis is potentially going there in free agency or via trade, that's weak. That is a weak mentality. That is the weakest mentality I have ever seen, barring KD. <laughs> Barring KD, including KD, that is weak attitude. Okay, uh, if he does that, if this happens, where Kyrie goes to LA, I don't want to hear nobody putting him in a top five PG conversations. No, no, because all the top five PGs that uh, you know that come in and out, they're usually the number one on their team. He's going to be if he goes back to LeBron, he'll be number two, and if Anthony Davis goes there, he'll be number three. And if Clay Thompson goes there, he'll be fighting number. He'll be fighting Clay for the number three spot. That is weak mentality. When you had the leadership role at Boston at your feet, and you left because you couldn't handle it. That is the basic reason. Okay, that is weak mentality. I don't want to hear him in no top five PG conversations. I don't want to hear him in Dame versus PG conversation. Uh, Dame versus Kyrie conversation. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is way better than him in that case because he's obviously been leading Portland since day one. Kyrie has been, you know, 
he he was okay in Cleveland on his own, but he wasn't winning games like Damian Lillard was. And this just cinches it. This just cinches it if he goes to LA. But hey, that might not happen. So we also have the Boston Celtics who have a lot of assets and could possibly trade for Andy Davis. But Andy Davis says, via rumours, again, uh, sources, quote-unquote, uh, he doesn't want to go to Boston. Fine, okay. So you have other players, you know, you know, everyone's everyone has to give it a go. Uh, you also have Milwaukee, they could give it a go. Toronto could give it a go. Uh, Miami Heat could give it a go. You know they got some young assets on there. They can throw. They can throw. They can throw uh, New Orleans a bone. But the basic principle of the reason why this is happening to New Orleans is because their organization sucks. Their GM Del Demps. You know he's been whack. He's been whack as a GM in in my estimation. This dude comes through with the idea that draft picks mean nothing. You know he just gives away draft picks like it's nothing, and. Even when they keep draft picks, they they're usually just yeah, you know they had they had Chris Paul back in the day. They had Chris Paul, and look what happened there. Nothing happened. They had Anthony Davis, who became like top five, and they still can't get anywhere. They won a playoff series, and that's it. That's it's just it's just a shame. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the whole in terms of the whole thing and how it's going to happen, I think that I mean I mean. I don't think New Orleans will trade will trade him to the Lakers. I think they they could they, you know, bear in mind they can trade him wherever he wherever they want him to. Like he he is completely, uh, you know, New Orleans have the control. They they hold the cards as as it pertains to where Andy Davis can go. So whoever offers the best trade package for them is up to um, is up to New Orleans, and they could send him to they could send him to Memphis if he if. if you know, New uh, New York is obviously another player, um, another p- uh, potential player. They can possibly trade Chris Zingers, maybe, you know, maybe throw Kevin Knox in there. Again, I don't think they have enough assets to, you know, uh, match Andy Davis's uh, quality. But you never know. Um, Chris Stapps, you know, he has been injured the past year, so and you know, before that, he was generally very good. So you never know if if that happens. Maybe that could be good on both sides. We don't know the future on that. And also, if um, if Anthony Davis happens to get traded to the Knicks, that would also mean that KD could possibly get be interested in going back in going to the Knicks. So, you know, I'm I'm actually down for that. I'm down for that. Uh, KD AD in um in New York. Yeah, I'm I'm certifiably down for that. I'm down for that entertainment. Honestly, I just want the East to be as strong as possible because. The West Coast is just too. The Western Conference is just too stacked. It's too stacked. It's a bit silly, and I I, I can barely watch games because there's already an eight hour in in the West. Most of the West games start like at three a.m. for me. It's not. It's not. It's not achieved, right? And the last thing I could say, just to you know, just a little suggestion uh, for the Lakers, if we're being very logical, very 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 logical, okay, take take away all the you know the all the intangibles okay if we're being completely logical and if it was like NBA 2K my GM okay the only way they could the 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 only way New Orleans will give Andy Davis to the Lakers is if the Lakers trade LeBron
It won't happen. It obviously won't happen. It's 100% not going to happen. But for being completely logical, that is the only that is the only possible trade that the, the Lakers can give New Orleans and it can actually be an uh, you know an equal trade. That is the only way if they trade LeBron. But obviously they're not going to do that cuz it's LeBron. You know the rest, okay? This this whole end of those two is mad fascinating to me, and you know it, it's shaping up to be one of those you know big um, in the annals of um, M- of the NBA history. You know, there's always those trades that you know sh- completely tectonic plate shift the NBA. So, and I think Anthony Davis might be that person in this case, and also KD if you want to throw him in there, and you know that might if that if that New York thing happens. Hmm. I could get uh, the Eastern Conference can get very tasty. So let's continue changing up. Uh, let's talk about some film and TV. So I wanted to talk about Boots Riley and uh, the 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 logic of um, of uh, you know getting getting award nominations. Okay. So if you, I mean, I don't know. I'm not glad like I know the ins and outs of the film industry and how um, you know awards award season works, but you know, on the face of it, you need to be a, you need to have like a full budget of marketing and for your consideration ads. So for your consideration stuff is basically, you know, sending voters screenings uh, for the actual film itself. So they, you know, have to, so they, you know, just make it very, very, very easy for them to watch it. So they don't have to go to a cinema, just give them a DVD or whatever and just make them watch it at their own home. Um, you know, they have, you know, you see billboards sometimes that goes for your consideration and stuff like that. Uh, they ha- they sometimes, some films and production companies host events, you know, and invite voters, you know, trying to woo them. You know, it's you, logically, you'd be like, okay, that well, that shouldn't work. You know, that's, that's j- just vote for what you like, innit? But sometimes it works, sometimes it works. So, you know, and that's why Roma, as a Mexican film uh, Mexican origin film from Netflix. The reason why, you know, obviously the quality of the film is uh, unmatched, but uh, in terms of the marketing, Netflix has had a big has been pushing, uh, putting hundreds of millions of dollars into it, into the into the for your consideration marketing. So where Bruce Riley fits into all of this is because his film Sorry to Bother You got is basically nowhere in the in the awards radar. And the reason for that is because uh, basically Boots and the and the people behind Sorry to Bother You didn't bother in terms of <laughs> in terms of uh, for your consideration marketing. So I just wanted to read his. Uh, he had a nice tweet. Uh, he has a nice tweet thread here, which I'm going to read full. And uh, yes, yeah, I just I just found it kind of fascinating into the ins and outs of how of how it all works. So he goes. He starts with this. Uh, there are tons of people making statements this morning about what Sorry to Bother You not getting nominated says about the Academy and the film industry. That I think are misconceptions that may affect what kinds of movie filmmakers are possible to get made. Yeah. Uh, so I want to make a few things clear. I think that most of the film industry want to see something new and that there is a large percentage of the film industry that actually agrees with what I'm saying in Sorry to Bother You. Separate from that, from my conversations and other people reporting their knowledge to me, there are a lot of people in the Academy who like uh, Sorry to Bother You a lot. Obviously, with any movie that takes chances, there are also folks who hated it. That is to be expected. 
but the largest factor as to why we didn't get nominated is that we didn't actually run a campaign that and that aimed to get a nomination for screenplay or song. We didn't buy for your consideration ads in the trade magazines, and we didn't service the whole academy with screeners. Without that, it's perceived that you don't have enough ch- have a chance or enough buzz. Academy members don't just vote for a thing they like if they think it doesn't have a chance. It's like that with most voting. That is not to say that we would have gotten a nomination if we had done that, because at the point at that point it becomes about which of the contenders they like the most. It's just that not doing it, doing that, made it a self-fulfilling prophecy that we wouldn't get nominated. So I had no actual belief that we would get nominated. I just enjoy the parties, free drinks, and hanging out with really talented filmmakers that inspire me, many of them who got nominated, and the campaign that we did do, press runs, red carpet stuff, got a lot more people to see the movie. That's for me, the big attraction to any film award. So, the big takeaway from that is, you know, is basically like, you know, how voting actually works in most, in not even just film, think of like, you know, general elections, um, you know, if you watch the news, you'd see, you know, you know, see, you know, the lead Labour leaders and Conservative leaders and UKIP leaders and Liberal Dem leaders and well, Applied Cymru leaders and you know all the political leaders. They you know go on a tour and they're you know in the places and they you know they strategize. They strategize where to go, where to talk, what to talk about there. You know they they strategize this kind of stuff and it's the same with film and television you know, for your consideration campaigns. They, you know, strategically do these things. Sometimes and when you don't do it, obviously liking the film is is one thing, but you know, people don't like wasting their vote, you know? That's why Labour and Conservative are usually just the top two most of the, um, all, all the time basically and you know People like, you know, Lib Dem and the others and SNP, they're always the smaller ones and they're always going to be at the bo- uh, at the lower rung than Labour and Conservative because people vote for, you know, the top two, basically, in, and they don't want to waste a vote on, you know, Lib Dem or any of the others. Why would you want to do that? It's just, uh, you know, they're not going to win, but, you know, it's, 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 sometimes how it, it's sometimes how it goes. And it's the same reason, you know, as it pertains to film and television. It's the same. It's the same as that. Sorry to bother you. Could be your favorite film of the year, right? If you're a voter, your favorite film of the year. But you're not going to. <clears throat> you're not going to vote it for, you know, the Oscar for best original song because, you know, it's not going to get picked by anybody else, and you just be a sheep basically. You know, it's kind of. You know, it's sheep culture. That's basically what it is. You know, you just um, you see the buzz, you see the hype, you see, you know, who, oh, who's the who's the Hollywood Reporter picking for the top five? Who's who's IndieWire's um, you know, uh, front runners and underdogs, you know, and dark horses. Who are they picking? So you know, they read these kind, they read those kind of things. They get a gauge for who's uh, the most popular in terms of you know, what films are going to get picked, or what songs, or what, uh, uh, what theatre play is going to get picked, and they usually pick out of those, out of the bunch, out of those bunch, so, yeah, you know, it's kind of, it it, it is sheep culture, and it's kind of depressing in that fashion, you know, the the fact that people can't 
independently think to the point where you know they can just they want they want their vote to count they want their vote to count they rather have that than vote independently and just be and just be just be done with it they want their <clears throat> they want their vote to count they want they they want their whatever they vote for to be you know the winner in in some form of in some form of fashion or at least you know be in the running and you'll be going like I voted for that because of this but you know at the end of the day if you know sorry to bother you was your favorite film and you didn't vote for it that's that's sheep that's sheep activity and you know in that case it's kind of depressing I think I kind of talked about that uh, I think I kind of hinted to this a few weeks ago as I was um you know going through the nominations for various awards and and uh yeah it's just um I just thought it was something to, to thought it was something worth talking about because you know it's the same in politics it's the same in I don't know <laughs> big brother v- uh, phone voting you know <laughs> it, it, it's just how it goes so uh let's continue with Let's continue with music. Let's get, let's let's go with music, and then I'll finish off with life as I <laughs> do most of the time, <laughs> because I like I like the important bits to be to be the last ones. So I think I finally, and I'm not I'm not being I'm not I don't want to be, you know, completely sure about this. You know, I don't want this to be my definitive opinion. So just to just a disclaimer, this is not going to be my definitive opinion of this person. But I think I've a solid ground, if you will, uh on this person. No not a definitive solid opinion, but I think I found a, you know, a um a, a reasonably uh reasonable talking, uh reasonable opinion on this person. That person is J. Cole. So obviously he's uh, been in the you know, he's been in the 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 hype white hype, uh, hype what do you want to call it hype circle, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. The um yeah, he's basically been on in the hip hop news, I guess, for, you know, he's been recently dropping Middle Child and that's obviously been dissected uh, from from all angles. Uh, he's dropping maybe two albums, uh, you know, Range of the Dreamers 3 and also his uh, follow-up to KOD from last year. So, you know, he's got a big year ahead of him again. And, um, yeah, people are kind of just preparing for that at the moment. But I recently watched um, a video uh, via Genius. Uh, it's called Off the Records, hosted by Rob Markman. And um, they had some guests, uh, Mouse Jones podcaster, uh, uh, Gia Peppers, who hosts a uh, co-host of the Black Girl Pod, and also Jameer Pond. Uh, I suggest you watch it if you want to understand what I'm talking about. It's, uh, I'll, I'll put the link on the um, on the Fifth Element article uh, uh, in the links to re- uh, links used for the show, and um, <clears throat> I found it very fascinating about their conversation. You know what they were talking about. So obviously they talked about Middle Child as a song. But then they started, you know, because obviously J. Cole put on the put on the song that he's like the greatest rapper right now, basically, just making that claim. And, you know, in terms of, you know, my opinion, obviously I'm more on the Kendrick side. So I think Kendrick's like just one of the best. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you guys know my opinion on Kendrick. Kendrick's, the, Kendrick's my goat, okay? My goat, okay? My subjective goat, okay? It's fine. Um, you know, I like J. Cole. And um, 
and that's about it, really. <laughs> Unlike J. Cole, that's pretty much it. But um, it was funny listening to them because uh, Mouse Jones, who is, um, I wouldn't say he's a hater of uh, J. Cole, but he's more of a, you know, dowser, you know, when everyone, when everyone's like, oh, that, that track was hot, he was like, shh, calm down. Uh, it wasn't all that. And he's basically one of those people, you know, he's going like, um, you know, I don't hate him, but he's not all that. Um, he basically thinks he's overrated, I think, I, I, if I if I put words in his mouth. And, uh, you know, the others were like, you know, the, the track was, the track was good, the middle child, it was, it was a good track, and I feel and I feel the same way, it was, it was a good track. Um, in terms of what he was talking about, it was quite kind of on point, and, uh, you know, how he's in between two generations, I understand that, and how he came across with that uh, in the lyrics was quite fascinating, and I enjoyed it, I enjoyed the track, it's a good track. But then they started talking about Greatest Right Now, and that was just when I was like, hmm, yeah, hmm, don't think so. I think uh, uh, I think it kind of inspired me to give my opinion on J. Cole, because I've, I've been struggling, I've been struggling for years about where I place J. Cole in my, in my like, you know, head, you know, I... I Sometimes I sometimes I listen to him and it's so it's 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 great you know it's it's great lyricism um, the beats sometimes uh, uh, leave much to be desired as a producer I don't think he's all that I really don't as a you know he is a you know bona fide rapper producer you know his mixtapes are produced by him you know all the albums are produced by him he does it he does it all okay he's he's, he's in all facets of every song he makes and every uh, album he makes and mixtape you know so uh, as he's evolved and you know it's a good evolution i just i just don't see the i just don't i can't really get into him at the moment you know i think after forest hills i was just like i listened to four your eyes only i was like yeah it's all right there's something missing i don't know what it is though and also KOD, I was like, yeah, it's all right again, but I'm just like, eh. And I think, um, I think the main reason is because he's incredibly meta now. Where, when I mean meta, I mean he's, you know, talking about what's around him, and just, um, just being very in the moment. And while that's fine for like a song, for like a whole album, it's kind of drab. So KOD, for example, while I admire the you know the messaging behind it all, I just I just I just don't see he I just I just don't like the fact that he you know his the production on it was a bit like is that really you though that's not really your wheelhouse you're doing it just because it's you know it's the it's the sound right now and I understand why you're doing it but it doesn't make the song any better, the fact that I know you're doing it, you know what I mean? Does anybody get that? I know some I know some people that think J. Cole's like, like you know, rap Jesus, and, you know, that's fine. I, I, can see, I can see all angles as it pertains to why people like J. Cole, why people hate J. Cole, why people are like me and they're kind of lukewarm about J. Cole. You know, I listen to his mixtapes and I thoroughly enjoy him. I love his mixtapes. Warm up. Friday Night Lights, uh, also like um, uh, Cold World, Sideline Story. Really enjoy that. I don't think I've actually listened to Paul and Silla. I've been trying. I think I've been trying to. I've been trying to get into it, but I've I've, I've never made the time to listen to Paul and Silla, So I need to listen to that. But you know, yeah, his mixtapes. I 
thoroughly enjoyed. I I remember the exact moments I was listening to Friday Night Lights and the warm up for the first time. Uh, I was in uni first year, and uh, I listened to the warm up on the way to <laughs> on the way to a subway, and I was listening to that as I was eating and as I went back to my uh, and as I went back to my residence and I was listening to it on the speaker as well and then straight after I listened to Friday Night Lights on the speaker and I just listened to it from back to front uh, just sitting there with my laptop uh, laptop on and uh, just like typing away doing some work and listening to Friday Night Lights I remember the exact moment I was listening to so you know it's kind of and I think in that case because I remember them I enjoy them so much and you know sometimes when you enjoy an album so much you remember the first time you listen to it I remember the first time I listened to uh to Pimper Butterfly I was in uh I was in sixth form and I was listening to it uh during meet during a lesson and during media like that I think it was like double media on a Friday I'm not I'm, I'm being <laughs> I'm being too specific now I don't know if it, I don't know what day it was but um <laughs> But yeah, I was, I was in uh, I was in the media and uh, I was in media. I was just doing some work and I was listening to Pimp Butterfly and it was just and it just blew my mind. And it didn't. It actually took me a few years to actually truly understand it um, in terms of the album. But anyway, as pertains to Jake Cole, again, I'm just uh, I just I was listening. I was watching the you know the for the record show and you know they were making some interesting points and I was kind of agreeing with Mouse Jones a lot even though he was being kind of a hater saying that you know he's not top 5 um what do you say he's not top 5 lyricist right now and I was like hmm I, I mean like you can make an argument in my opinion but yeah sure I mean but let's be real he's probably is um uh, you put Wale over him and I was just like Come on, come on! You're you're reaching now. You're reaching. So you know some of it is very exaggerated, and you know he acts like he's you know completely serious. But I'm just like, come on, come on, stop, stop. Wale's not Wale's not not better than J Cole. So um, you know he's J Cole, and just for the record, you know, <laughs> for the record, uh, J Cole's not in my top five right now. Um, I have you know, uh, who do I have? I have Kendrick, I have Denzel Curry, I have Lil Kana, I have Little Sims, and I have Rhapsody. So that's my top five right now. So J Cole's not in that for me. For me personally, he's not in that for me. But as a but as a you know as a lyricist and as a rapper, you know I don't have to like everybody. Let's be real. You don't have to like everybody, okay? You know I listen to you know I listen to nineties and eighties hip hop, and you know some artists I really like. Some artists I acknowledge their legacy and I acknowledge their you know their greatness or whatever you want to call it and their history I acknowledge it but I'm not going to put them as my top five all the time because it's only a five okay you can't put every great rapper in your top five surely it it may seem easier in these days but I honestly you know I just gave you my top five right now I genuinely think that the talent pool in hip-hop right now is larger than you think way larger than you think I think uh, I had a, as a minor segue, or a tangent anyway, I had a conversation with, um, uh, with a mate, shout out Adnan, and, uh, he, uh, he put, um, uh, he put something on his IG story, and, like, uh, he was in a car, and he was playing Drake, uh, was, I'm upset, and I just, like, gave him a bit of roast, I was like, you listening to Drake, what are you doing, like, <laughs> It's like Drake's lit, what are you on about? And um it paraphrasing and basically we had this com- we had we had this conversation where I was going like I don't he's like, Do you not like Drake? I was like, You know I don't rate Drake. 
He was like, when, when did you not rate Drake? I was like, I swear we've had this conversation. And I gave him my article, uh, my problem with Drake, and I'll... F- no, I won't throw in the article, uh, the Fifth Element article, because that's not the crux of this conversation, but um, you guys can find it. And, um, yeah, everyone knows my problem with Drake, but one of the main reasons was um, basically more an indictment on the you know, on mainstream music, you know, the fact that people, you know... Now that hip hop's the most popular genre in the in the in the U.S. Uh, factually, um, it's it's clearly at this point where you know people, oh, I I love Juice World, I love Lil Uzi, I love Drake, but you know these these are the people that just get that just take what's ever on the top forty and they just base their whole tastes on that. When if you're a true fan of hip hop, you should be you know looking like actively searching. You know, rock fans look for rock bands. Jazz fans look for jazz musicians. You know what I mean? Every f- true fan of every music actually, you know, dives in and tries to look for the next best thing and tries to look for that hidden gem. You lot just take Drake and assume he's great. Like, he's not. And, you know, J. Cole is not in that echelon, obviously, but sometimes uh, for people that... Uh, for another set of people that also take, you know, they take one artist and they just, you know, just ride him to the wheels fall off. I'm a Kendrick fan, but I don't just listen to Kendrick, you know. I probably listen to Little Sims more than I listen to Kendrick, you know. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's more, this is more of a conversation on stand culture and, uh, and mainstream music. But getting back to J. Cole... Um, I think to finish off again, this is this is this is very loose. This is very loose, and I don't think I've actually again. I haven't fully formed my opinion of J Cole yet. Uh, I think there's still a lot to be uh, talked about as it pertains to J Cole and what he's doing creatively. I guess I'm just not a fan of his. Um, I guess I'm well. I get. I will say this right. I was more of a fan of. I'm clearly more of a fan of his older work, and that's fine. That's fine. To be a fan of somebody's older work, but not of their new work, that's fine. I still rate J. Cole as an artist. I, I really do. Um, I'm just not a... I just don't find this um, uh, this uh, meta attitude that he's been that he's been doing. While it may be relevant and it may be actually important to the hip-hop conversation at large, it may be important in terms of listening to the music. Eh. Eh. Yeah, I can I can take it or leave it. I'll give it a listen. Obviously, I'll take it in. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't have that, you know, not even replayability, but just like if it just sounds good. Sometimes it just doesn't sound good to me. It just sounds a bit uh, not trying hard, but just ah, I don't know. I don't know. Again, this is a very loose. This is this is all very loose and. I usually try and I usually give um you know opinions where you know it's fully marinate where it's fully marinated in my head but I felt like giving I felt like giving it uh, just just now I felt like a good time to just have a quick chat about it but um give the give the genius video a, a watch uh, it's a, it is very it's quite fascinating of how, how they talk about J Cole and um and some things I agree with, and there sometimes some things I don't. And if uh, depending on where you are, as it pertains to J Cole, uh, you'll probably have the same 
reactions that I did. So you know, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting conversation, and uh, thought I'd like uh, thought I'd give a shout out to that and to talk about my opinion on J Cole, even as a uh, as uh, as uh, loose as it is. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the last thing, and this is actually I'm glad I actually um. I uh, went very quickly on that because I wanted to talk about uh, this one for for a good while. So this is a article that I found on Twitter. <clears throat> I think it was by the um uh BCA Heritage um Twitter account uh, that cover that covers like um the history of black culture and the black culture archive. I think it's what it stands for. And uh, yeah, basically it's just a um a, a a place where um they cultivate you know cultural artifacts and uh, host um you know exhibitions as it pertains to black culture and British black history. It's a, it's a very fascinating um organization and uh, fully support it. And they put this um article out. I don't think it's from them, but they put this article out, and uh, it's called uh, "Teaching B A M E History: uh, Black Asian uh, Multi Ethnicity uh, History as a British History as British History." What does it have to do with the exit? So that's basically what the conversation is about. It's talking about education uh, mixed with the exit, mixed with you know um, BAME and there and you know British history, and using that as British history and putting it in the education system, which it currently really isn't. And it's something I've talked about multiple times over the years. I've probably talked about it a couple of times on you know. Uh, the sonar uh, iteration of what's good. So I probably talked about it. I definitely talked about it on the um, Cage Bird, shout out to Cage Bird. So um, yeah, this is something I, you know, are very passionate about as it pertains to, you know, the future of where we're, where we're at. So um, let me just, um, I'm going to try and read, I'm going to try and read excerpts of this and uh, probably and try not read all of it, but I'm going to try and, you know, uh, thread it in terms of, and to, to the point where you know it's coherent <laughs> so uh, let's get started so um this is also by uh, malachi mcintosh and uh, hannah uh, elias by the way so just for credit uh, there's no question the uk is experiencing a great movement of national uncertainty in this pre the exit environment with a rise in hate crime mounting evidence of persistent racial bias and increasing frequency of xenophobic and anti-immigrant language in our politics it's not surprising that a fervent conversation has been promoted on what it means to be british there is a direct link between how Britishness is contested and defined in our public understanding and the debate on how British history should be taught and understood in classrooms across the country. Put another way, what's missing from our curriculum is also missing from our public debate. The voices and experiences of black British and black Asian people are often excluded in yeah, British Asian schools. I think I said, did I say black Asian? <laughs> British Asian people are often excluded in schools or inserted as add-ons or supplements to quote-unquote real history. School history programs tending to focus on Tudor monarchs and the world wars at the expense of concurrent events in British history that were perhaps even more consequential, perhaps even more consequential, notably the histories of the empire and migration. Since 2010, the Runnymede Trust, in conjunction with the universities of Manchester and Cambridge, have been working on, with school history teachers and the country's major history teaching and research organisations to explore how Britain's global connections through empire and migration are taught in schools. The results have been sobering, 
and have led to the creation of uh, the Algor Migration Story, Making Histories and Bangla Stories websites uh, to provide much requested support to teachers interested in presenting these topics in the classroom. It has also culminated in a further collaboration with the Institute of Historical Research on a public engagement event that took place on the 4th of December in uh, 2018 entitled Where Do We Fit In? Black and Asian History on the Curriculum. So the, um, actually, you know, let me give this paragraph actually as well. At this gathering in the University of London's Beverage Hall, panel of writers, teachers, poets, activists and historians and socio sociologists uh, discuss the ways that BME uh, British, British experiences can be taught and understood as British history. The popularity of this event, which sold out in only a matter of days, underscores the urgency of the topic. The presentations and reflections of the attendees made it very clear. History teaching in Britain is often not fit for purpose. Speakers and performers include Afro Hirsch, Young People's Laureate for London's uh, for London, Momtazar Mehri, uh, Hannah Lowe, and poet and writer. Okay, let me just stop and get in and absorb the name right quick. Suhaima Manzor Khan emphasised the importance of properly contextualising British history in the history uh, of global migration and moving away from introducing BME histories through the lens of cultural experience without situating them in wider history of our shared pasts. So I'm going to continue uh, more down uh, on the... Uh, more deeper into the um, uh, into the uh, article here, uh, and uh, begins to talk about the exit um, and linking that to what we're talking about here. Uh, the exit and demographic changes have charged uh, have yeah charged conversations about migration and empire with airs of outrage and defensiveness, with many commentators stepping forward to defend quote our history against what are often portrayed as incursions from outside. But the stories of Black and Asian Britons are Britain's history. Colonial wealth built Britain, and throughout its long history, Britain has been a node in a global network of immigration and emigration that, has, that extended its reach and shaped its current form. To teach the story of this nation without people of African and Asian descent and without Asia, Africa and the Americas themselves is to give a partial account. As, a po as poet and activist uh, Manzor Khan said at the 4th of, 4th of December event, history teaching is inherently political. The choices made about what appears on the curriculum directly reflect the priorities and interests of those who govern. Read through this lens, it's not hard to see a certain image of Britain emanate through a programme of instruction in schools that often forget the brutalities of colonisation in Ireland, in the Caribbean, in Africa and in Asia. Forgets the generation of settlement, mixture and contri contribution of peoples uh, from across the world in the UK. Forgets Jewish, Romani, and medieval migrations, brackets, and expulsions, and forgets much of the history of decolonization. In light of these absences, is an open question just how many of uh, of pass through compulsory education, and leave with a clear sense of how contemporary Britain came to be. Where debates about Britain's identity and diversity are presented, the conversation is often depicted as a back and forth exercise of false equivocation and between two opposing sides of an argument, one which wants to represent the history and memory of the empire positively, and one that wants to explore fully its repercussions. And I will, I'll talk about, actually, let me give you the last paragraph, and then I'll, um, then I'll finish off on my point uh, with all of this. 
Uh, it should go without saying, but sadly too often needs to be said, Britain's history is the history of all, pe- all the peoples who played role in its development. There's certainly a need for more time, effort and energy uh, energy and thought to be expen- uh, to be expended on how it's uh, how this history is rendered and constructed in the national curriculum, both before and after 29th of March 2019. You know what what that date pertains to. If we are all if we are at all interested in having informed debates about Britishness, Englishness, Blackness, Whiteness, and Europeanness, then we need to make our younger citizens uh, make sure our younger citizens are equipped to participate in the conversations ahead. And I think that is the, you know, the biggest problem in terms of our society right now, you know. You know, oh, you know, people my age are, you know, out of most of most of us are out of education. Obviously some of us are doing, you know, longer courses in terms of university or master's degrees and you know, you know stuff like that. In terms of people my age, twenty two, twenty three, um, so you know, again, it's already well, not again, it's already too late for us in terms of going to a school and learning about um, atrocities that you know, empire, the empire bought. You know, we watch, we watch all these, you know, history. Um, you know, we learn history in school, and you know, like I said in the article, it's all about. You know, the Tudors, for some odd reason, don't know why the Tudors are so special. You know, Henry VIII, um, and also, you know, mainly the World Wars, especially in secondary school. That's all I remember in history, just World Wars and uh, World War One and Two. that's basically it. So, that is not enough. That's not enough. It really isn't enough. And it's hard trying to... It's hard trying to get people to, you know, especially if they're, if they're out of education, to, you know, educate themselves, indicate, ind- educate themselves independently. You know, I first learned about Stuart Hall, who is um, an amazing writer and um, who was an amazing writer, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, talked about black British culture and was one of the leading writers about that kind of thing, about that subject. And, um, you know, I didn't learn that in history. I didn't learn that in history. I learned it as part of my film studies. And again, uh, you know, and that was that was something that they made an effort to talk about. And I was entirely grateful for that because my learning about Stuart Hall in sixth form really gave me a leg up as it pertains to when it when I came to university when I went to university and started talking about. Um, you know, I started referencing Stuart Hall a lot in my in, in some of my essays. So. You know, the quicker you learn about those kind of things, the more rounded your education can be, in my opinion. And, you know, as it pertains to the exit, the reason why people, you know, I'm not saying, and this is not the this is not the conversation I'm having where, you know, all people who voted leave as racist. No, that's not the conversation I'm having. The point I'm making is that some people voted strictly for immigration. And while they, you know, say, while some of them say it in the, and glaze it in the lens that, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's getting out of control and yada, 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 yada. There are many, many counter reasons you can give as to, A, why are there so many immigrants? You know, 
just ask yourself that question. Why are there so many immigrants coming through to Europe and, you know, trying to seek asylum in the UK? Why is that happening? You know, do your research on that as to why there's so many of them. Maybe there wouldn't be so many of them if certain stuff didn't stop happening. Um, but they, you know, they glaze it in the lens of, you know, I care and I want my, you know, I want our, you know, borders to be safe. And, you know, that's fine. That's all well and good. But, you know, it's a glaze as it, you know, it's a glaze. And I think if you, if, you know, people in, you know, my mum's age bracket, in my sister's age bracket, uh, in my in my my dad's age bracket, you know, if they learned about uh, the empire, if they learned about colonization, if they learned about Windrush, if they learned about uh, black British people in the Tudor era, uh, that's funny, isn't it? You know, I read an article um, on the you know so- radio sonar iteration of what's good, and I've actually saved it on my um, on my Guardian uh, page because it was just so fascinating to me that there were black British Tudors. And, you know, it was, it was, and they were actually, you know, free to do what they wanted. You know, we learned about Tudor, Tudor times in primary school. Didn't learn about the black British Tudors, did we? Hmm. It's, it's, it, it just makes you think, honestly. And the reason why the exit is so close, can, can be linked so close to, you know, our education system is because the people that voted leave, excuse the plane, I'm not going to stop. The people that, um, for some of the people that voted, it's a fact that hate crimes went up after the vote. Hate crimes went up, just general, uh, you know, well, yeah, hate crimes went up. And, uh, all, and you know, all the statistics as pertains to that has been amazingly harrowing. And it says a lot about our culture. It says a lot about our society. And... If we, you know, say if my mum's and dad's age bracket were taught about empire and colonization and all the things I've taught and all the things it talked about in the article and what I've and what I've um, suggested, you know, do you think they would be like this? Do you think they would be? Uh, if you think there would be a nationalist streak in some people in the UK right now, do you think they would vote Leave if they were given the chance? If they learned about you know all the things that should be learned about. It's you know it's a it's a parallel universe I'd love to see, but in you know in where we're at now, it's you know it's been too late. It's been too late. It's not a never. It's not a. It's not an um. It's never too late problem. It's been too late. This should be in our education systems. I and my friends around me should have learned about. All the th- all the atrocities that Britain has put on to the world, you know, it might be a cool it might be a cool um, statistic to um, you know throw out that you know, oh when you know the the the, the empire that uh, the sun never um, uh, the sun uh, what was what was it called uh, the empire where the sun never set you know because we had you know we had colonised countries from all corners of the globe and the sun technically never went down on the British Empire. You know, there might be a fun, cool quote, but look deeper. Grab a micro... Grab a... Um, uh, grab a um, microscope. Look down uh, what happened in India. What happened in South Africa. What happened in the Caribbean. What happened in uh, many other parts of Asia and uh, 
and uh, many parts of Africa. And you don't have to throw UK in there. You can throw the French. You can throw the Spanish in there. You can throw the Dutch in there. You can do it. You can do it all. You can do. You can do it all with Europe. Europe as well. Um, so it's up to you, as it pertains to if you have future children. You know, because if I had future children, if I had future children, damn sure. If it ain't. If the. If the education system hasn't you know, updated and has, you know, stopped politicising history and putting a gloss over everything, Winston Churchill was not a good man, just to say, Um, just to throw that out there, Uh, literally just popped into my head, Winston Churchill was not a good man, yeah, 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 he may have won the, may have led the World War II, but um, you should look at, you should look at the past um, uh, behind that, Mm, very, uh, very interesting, but yeah, you know, Again, just to finish up, if this is, if the education system in terms of history is still where it's at right now, I'd be damn sure to teach my children about the actual, what's really, what really went on, you know, about the true lens. And that's basically what this is. This is basically, you know, an embargo on truth right now. You know, not to sound minority report, not to sound, um, George Orwell on you, but that's basically what is going on right now in our schools as it pertains to history. They're teaching us World War Two, teaching us Tudors, and nothing else. <laughs> it is kind of fascinating, but hey, that's been what's good. I'm leaving on that note. I <laughs> uh, hope you all have enjoyed this episode. I think I've kind of enjoyed this one. I, really, I was looking forward to this one. Uh, back again next week, hopefully on, uh, on, on the Thursday, if it's not Thursday, it's usually Friday, I'm, I'm kind of keeping it, I'm kind of keeping that consistency, um, getting, getting more and more busy these days, which is, um, which is, which I'm blessed to have, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed I have all the, the, um, the, my time's being used for something, uh, for something, um, for myself and, you know, for, for other, for other endeavours, so I'm happy about that, but anyway, yeah, hope you've enjoyed the show, if you want to read the, uh, read the links of, um, uh, read out in the past um, in the show head off to the 5th element uh, the 5thelement.org.uk hit up them links teach yourself educate yourself that's always what I'm trying to preach to you lot that's you know infotainment that's what I'm going for information I want to make it entertaining as well that's my that's my motto right now but um, yeah hope you enjoyed the show for the 5th element podcast network I have been Charlie Taylor this has been what's good Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Take it easy. Cheers for staying, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to What's Good Extra Thoughts, where I talk about things that just on my mind felt like talking about, but I couldn't fit in a whole segment, so I just decided to put on this little extra bit. As always, we're going to do it in 2 minutes and 51 seconds, which is the exact length of the song Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. So, without further ado, hit up the stopwatch. 3, 2, 1... Go. Right. So-
so ITV did a two two and a half hour countdown of the top 100 dogs in the UK. So basically, I, I don't really know how it works, like in terms of the voting system. I think the public vote for the top 10, but then again, who the hell voted for the other 90? So it's kind of weird of how they did it, but I have no idea how they did it. So. Um, I was in and out while uh, doing food, um, and uh, yes, there's some, there's some, there's some egregious, uh, uh, there's some egregious things here. So um, I'm just going down the list. I'm looking around. Uh, Parson Russell Terrier, nope, too low, 72, way too low. Uh, I saw a Borzoi, which is basically like a fluffy greyhound, at 92, egregious, absolutely egregious. Uh, Bernie's Mountain Dog, 76, yeah. That's that. See, the big dogs need to be in top fifth, like the in the in the uh, later end, you know, the the bottom fifty, because they're so big. It's just it's just silly sometimes. It's so silly. Pug is forty-seven. I hold my opinion forever that pugs are fugly, and just I feel sorry for them. They are not top fifty. Stop it. Yorkshire Terrier fifty-four. Nope, just to be top fifty. Greyhound. Is, Greyhound is below a whippet, which makes no sense because a whip a greyhound is a good a whippet is a Bargain Greyhound, it's, it's, it's rubbish. It's a, a whippet is a crap Greyhound, that's basically what it is. Uh, going to the, the, the 430s, the Beagles at 30, 31, what? Obviously top 20. Uh, Great Dane 29 should be higher, King Charles Spaniel should be way higher. Jack Russell at 20, nope, that's top 10. You cannot tell me otherwise, it should be top 10. Um, for the top 10, it's mixed breed. Yeah. Uh, Golden Fever, fair enough. German Shepherd, fair enough. Border Collie should be top five, but it's number seven. Boxer Dog should not be anywhere near the top ten. I, they, they suck. They, they, they suck. It's rubbish. No, they. Boxer Dog should not be top ten. Name, name, excuse me. Name why? Name me. Give me a reason why Boxer Dog should be top ten, let alone number six. Absolutely egregious. Over a Border Collie, the smartest dog. German Shepherd, smart as hell. Come on, man. Absolute joke. Um, uh, number five, Cocker Spaniel. Number four, Springer Spaniel. Number three, Labrador. Number two, Cockapoo. No, no, no. Cockapoos are not the second best dog. Allow yourself. And uh, number one, Stashable Terry, which I can I can see in terms of popularity. Um, Staffies Steffi, are very popular in the, in the UK, so I'll give you that. But Boxer Dogs, no. Replace that with Jack Russell. Jack Russell, number one. Facts. <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs>